Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Nerdfest podcast. With us today we have... Dan Watkins, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson and I'm John Farthing. We've got a packed episode for you this week with some special recommendations. I think it's going to be a good one. So let's get started. So it seems to be a bit of a sausage party this week. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we appear to be missing Hazel, Andy. Um, where, where is she this week? Uh, she's she's around. She's in the house. No need to worry. Uh, she's You've said that in an incredibly sinister way, yeah. Andy. I like the way that she's walked past you twice during the recording of the podcast and the video, but looking exactly the same each time, almost like it's a video loop you have. Almost, but not quite. Now, Hazel is currently doing some work on a mental health first aid course. There's a, a deadline looming and she needed to crack on with this. Uh, really important stuff. I'm proud of her for doing that. Mm-hmm. But also she needs to calibrate the supercomputer that we use to work out the scores for the Oscars sweepstake. Oh, of course. Yes, that is a... The scoring system is too convoluted for a human mind to conceive of. Mm-hmm. Um, none. Hello. There's another addition to your household, so I understand. There is indeed. We have a tiny feline god of mischief. We have a little kitten called Loki, who is currently just settling down to sleep at the window next to me, so hopefully won't disturb the podcast too much. But if you hear any strange noises, he's probably trying to eat the wires to my microphone, because he's a naughty cat. (laughs) Are you aware of the term nominative determinism? I am aware of the term and we decided to risk it. <laughs> so when your cat destroys half the universe and creates chaos throughout space and time, you have only yourself to blame. Yes, but hopefully Owen Wilson will come and sort that out if he tries anything. We're hoping Loki the Kitten will enjoy Loki the TV series in June. Yeah, He quite enjoys Line of Duty. He enjoys watching <laughs> that for some reason. Somebody has to. Hopefully Hiddleston will, as a namesake, be of interest to him as well. I put Dog TV on YouTube for my dog. And it's basically a three-hour thing, but it's shot at little dog height, and it's running around a garden with other little dogs and balls and shit. She loves it. She just sits and stares at the TV. It's amazing. There's cat TV as well, which will be uh, someone puts down some seed and a static camera in a forest or a garden, and then just a bunch of birds and squirrels show up, and um, cats will be transfixed and then pour at the screen and then start scratching the screen, and you have to shout at them and turn it off. (laughs) Really good. (laughs) Yeah. You're not your LCD TV screen now with added scratch marks. Yep. <laughs> now, your cats, Andy, I mean, well, I say your cats. I, I don't know, have you signed the adoption papers for the cats yet? Or are they still Hazel's cats? Uh, they know who's in charge. Obviously Hazel. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're also quite nerdily named. They are named after characters from the West Wing. So we have Josh and we have Sam, possibly named the wrong way around. Um, I think it's probably too late to rename Josh Sam and Sam Josh, but <laughs> maybe I'll give it a try one week and see how it takes. Didn't Bradley Whitford audition for Sam originally? Yeah. Yeah, try explaining that to a cat. <laughs> I don't know. I've tried to explain Norse mythology to Loki, but he just falls asleep. <laughs> if it was anyone else, I wouldn't believe that. But it, as it's you, Dan. Hey. Does Sam punt off halfway through after demanding more food, leaving Josh to <laughs> take up the slack? Not so much, but you do often walk in on him uh, on a bed licking his own bum. So. We've all seen the tape. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Up-to-date comedy there. 
Yeah. <laughs> to move on to safer ground, yes. just briefly, how do we think Falcon the Winter Soldier ended? Were we happy? Yeah. I liked it. Uh, I think it was it was very good by the end. Not not as good as WandaVision, but uh, yeah. still really solid, really enjoyable, and I'm looking forward to more. Uh, there's rumoured there's going to be a film to follow up at some point. Yes, that's definite, I think. Captain America 4. It was clearly stitched together or restitched to the stories that the, originally the yeah. Flag Smashers were going to unleash a global pandemic on the world, and for some reason that was seen. I can't imagine why. It didn't stop the stand. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. You can... You can see the marks all over it. The There are some bits that flow really well and there are other bits where it just drips mm-hmm. over itself and it's missing major bits of motivation for the flag smashes and other things. It's it's quite obvious something went wrong. Yeah, the biggest thing missing was was a, a strong, well-defined villain. Um, I, th- I thought the actor playing Harley wasn't wasn't quite on the same level as everyone else as well. Well, not, not terrible or anything, but yeah. um, le- less convincing than your Sebastian Stans and your Anthony Mackies. I think probably more than any other part of it, her part of the show suffered from whatever yeah. was happening mm. to cause it to be a little bit of a muddle and a little bit of a mess. I did enjoy um, the way Carly put on her mask before her stunt double did any sort of karate or jumping. That was- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that was quite obvious. Yeah, She always puts her mask on when inside. It's the mm. right thing to do. When we used to watch the old uh, Buffy episodes, you could actually see when they swapped stunt woman mm. between, I think, probably maybe second series and third. Just the way they stood in fights and things, just totally mm. different. Yeah. Ah, Buffy. I remember when you were not problematic. <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, it was solid, but not great. I think we've been spoiled by WandaVision. Yeah. Which was just so good. I think so. Uh, but Loki, I have high hopes for. I'm really Loki. excited for that. Oh, <laughs> I mean, he's only been that character for 10 years. The, the character as, as a mythological figure has only been a thousand. It has been Loki the whole time. So uh, anyway. Ian Mayer, who is not with us today, says he's more excited about Hawkeye, the series, than he is about <laughs> the Loki series. And yeah, the reason Ian is not with us today is he's, he's in a home now. <laughs> um, being looked after. Wow. Oh, could I just let a cat out first? I'll be right back. I thought they thought it was night time. Uh, they're smarter than you'd think. <laughs> you can't fool a cat. Well, I can't. It's embarrassing. If you want to make them think it's night time, you're not only got to close the curtains, you've got to change all the cocks in your house. <laughs> <laughs> it's a surprising amount of effort. <laughs> okay, so it's time for some recommendations. Um, we're going to speak a little bit about what we've been watching over the last couple of weeks and whether we think you should watch it too. Daniel, do you have a recommendation for us? It's a series that has just arrived here in the UK, but if you happen to be listening across the world in New Zealand, it's a series that has been on the air for several years and has already had three series. I'm talking about the What We Do in the Shadows spin-off, Wellington Paranormal. 19 episodes of Officers Minogue and O'Leary from the Wellington Police Force dealing with matters that may not be of the ordinary. Every week, there's a new monster or vampire or ghost or sea creature that the two police officers have to deal with, aided by Sergeant Macker from his paranormal office in a storage cupboard in the police department. And they do their best to deal with these creatures in the most New Zealandy way possible. So better than the way the rest of the world would deal with them then? <laughs> uh, yes, very matter-of-factly, very politely. There is, in fact, a a set piece where uh, they are talking about having to use their taser 
And that being the last line of defence, the first line of defence is just being really nice and trying to defuse the situation with talking. <laughs> so it's a lovely blend of what the sequence with those two characters in the What We Do in the Shadows film got so right, where they go into a house full of vampires and notice that the smoke alarm's not working. All of these crazy supernatural things are happening, but that Jermaine Clement-infused sense of humour sort of heightens the absurdity and makes it funnier because of the fact that they're dealing with everything so normally, despite it clearly being not normal at all. And it makes for a really nice mix of tones. It does take quite a while just to get used to how their world works. Yes. So you need to watch a few of them just to get the rhythm of it and to kind of understand the joke properly, I think. Yeah. I didn't realise they were in the movie, though. Yeah, they, they make a small couple of appearances, first in, in the vampire house and then towards the end when there's been a werewolf attack and uh, they blame it on a stray dog and tell him he's been a very bad boy. But I think Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi saw that and saw the potential for a spin-off and they've taken that and they've really run with it. Like you say, Peter, it takes a couple of episodes to just get into the rhythm and the style of it. But once you kind of know how it works and what the characters are like, they get a lot more confident with it. The second series is better than the first. The third series is better than the second. There's a Christmas special, which I found really fun. Uh, they even go to the void where Ian Mayer lives <laughs> in that episode. And the, I think it's really taken off in New Zealand to the point that the public service announcements about COVID were done by Officers Minogan O'Leary from the Wellington Police Department. Oh, wow. <laughs> but yet people took him seriously. Yeah, um, it, it's weird. Um, the husband of the Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, cameos in an episode. They get crossovers from What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, Reese Darby from Flight of the Concords turns up. Um, yeah, I think it's really, really big over in New Zealand, which we might find out for sure if we ever get to go back there one day. Uh, but as for over here, it's, it's tucked away on now. Uh, formerly now TV, but well worth a look if you enjoyed what we do with the shadows. So is it totally similar to the what we do TV series or to go for its own? Similar kinds of worlds, but you laugh in a different way. There are less big gags and big setups and huge jokes than what we do in the shadows. It's a different style of humour. I laughed out loud a lot more at what we do in the shadows but I was amused throughout Wellington Paranormal. I was amused throughout his on the poster for the next season. <laughs> but the, what we do in the Shadows TV series, there are big jokes and you laugh loads at them. Wellington Paranormal is funny all the way through, but it doesn't aim for that same build-up and mm. huge payoff kind of humour. Does that make sense? It's a bit like, say, with Ted Lasso, there were people saying, does it have big jokes in it? And you go, hey, well, no, it doesn't, but it kind of makes you feel good for watching it. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I'm more determined to hate that show with every fibre of my being. I can't actually watch it because I'm so sick of everyone telling me how fucking nice it is. You are so contrary. <laughs> Though that is exactly the reason I haven't watched Mandy. Though it wasn't everybody, it was only you. Because everyone's telling you how nice Mandy is because you've been misinformed if that's the case. <laughs> so it's had three seasons. Is it ongoing? or? Yeah, I believe that a fourth series is being made in New Zealand at the moment. Maybe there'll be less of a delay this time. It's hard to say. But if you are in New Zealand, mm -hmm. you've got a treat coming to you before the rest of the world. As in most other things at the moment, to be honest, if you're in New Zealand. <laughs> Apparently. But yeah, in Wellington Paranormal, they're not hunting for the paranormal. The paranormal seems to find them. 
they go to investigate a cow in a tree at a farm and discover crop circles, or they hear about a, a break-in at a house and it turns out to be a possessed doll. There's a fire at a local school which turns out to be witches. They just think it's going to be regular police work and invariably it turns out to be mm. out of the ordinary. And therein lies the fun. I'm going to watch an episode of that later today. I'm intrigued. We watched it all in order from start to finish and powered through it in less than two weeks and we've got no episodes left now, which is really sad because there's no more. How many small, minor paranormal incidents sorted out in a nice fashion out of ten would you give the show? I would give it eight and a half small paranormal incidents sorted out in a nice fashion out of ten. Excellent. Except, Andy, you probably won't like it because Taika Waititi is an exec producer. (laughs) The mere presence of his name is normally enough to put Andy off. It is, therefore, against my religion. Um, Apart from that, it sounds like a a, a very nice idea, the kind of thing that I might like, but the the style of humour could be a very Marmite situation for me. Um, I, I may give that a try. It sounds like the kind of thing Hazel might like. So if, if, if she fancies watching an episode, I might sit in and, and uh, either enjoy it or bite my tongue. Um, <laughs> just sit there with a scowl on your face. Yeah, that's just my face, though. I can recommend a film for you about a detective exploring a mystery that turns out to be... No. Pal- <laughs> I know where you're going. No, you don't. No mentioning of that name this episode. Uh, Andy, save us from this. What have you got for us? First thing is I'd like to quickly mention Sound of Metal and Promising Young Woman, both of which I've watched recently, uh, both of which are excellent films. Uh, Either one would be a deserving winner of Best Picture and a bunch of other awards as well. But since we spoke about them briefly on a previous episode, I thought I'd recommend something different. So my recommendation is Quo Vadis Aida, which is a Bosnian war drama film about the 1995 Srebrenica massacre. Uh, So a slight shift in tone here. This event was a genocide of more than 8,000 Bosniak Muslim men and boys during the Bosnian War. Uh, It's nominated for Best International Feature Film at this year's Oscars. Quo Vadis is a Latin phrase meaning where are you going, which has some biblical meaning that's lost on me. Um, The Aida of the title is our main character, Aida Selmanagic, who is a UN translator desperately trying to save her family from the approaching Serbian forces. Said forces take over the city of Srebrenica and uh, civilians flee to a nearby UN camp looking for shelter. Many are allowed inside the cramped, inadequate building, but thousands more are denied entry and crowd at the gate, trapped between the impending onslaught of General Mladic's Serb army and the bureaucratic inertia of the UN. Aida struggles to get her husband and two sons into the facility, only to slowly realise that they aren't safe there either. So this is obviously not a cheery popcorn film. Uh, but it is a brilliantly handled, incredibly suspenseful account of one of the most heinous crimes committed on European soil since the Second World War. Uh, the film doesn't directly depict the violence. Um, it's, it's pretty much bloodless. The closest it comes is in the sound of off-screen machine gun fire, and it prefers to tell the story from the perspective of the victims. Uh, it's therefore a masterful portrait of desperation, fear, and ever-increasing tension. There are many, many shots where the frame is crammed full of people, This really conveys the scale of the threat and emphasises the hopelessly cramped conditions. A large number of people all experiencing the same dread at the same time is a hugely effective way of packing an emotional punch. Uh, The film's gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. Uh, By the end, as more and more civilians are forced onto buses and taken away, the frame empties, leaving Aida and her family isolated as their options and hope dwindle. The central performance by Jasna Juricic is outstanding. Aida is a pillar of strength for her family and others, surrounded by the impotence of the UN and the manipulative malevolence of the Serbian forces. 
I really hope that Quo Vadis Aida wins Best International Feature at the Academy Awards tonight. Um, there is something of a culture of denial within Serbia around the Srebrenica genocide, and art like this can do a lot to bring that darkness into the light of day. This is cinema of a higher purpose than mere entertainment. Although the film is excellent and captivating, it's a great example of art at its most powerful. So I would give Quo Vadis Aida a 10 out of 10 rating, uh, but with the caveat that the subject matter is as dark and heavy as it comes. So a film not to be watched lightly. Currently available on all sorts of video on demand platforms, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Curzon Home Cinema, Sky Store, YouTube. You will have to pay. I shelled out $4.99 to rent it. But if you do want to watch this, then it's easily worth the cost. My favourite part of that review was Andy jumping in with his rating before I could come up with some horrible, inappropriate ski battle. to for <laughs> That is exactly, exactly what happened. <laughs> when we went on holiday to Dubrovnik, we learned a little bit about what happened in Croatia at the time. We went to Bosnia and Herzegovina for a little bit during that holiday. It was only 30 years ago. It doesn't get talked about that much anymore. So did you have much of a knowledge going in or did this tell you a lot that you didn't know? So it's less on the um, historical detail and more on the, the human cost and the emotion of it. Um, I'm glad to have learned a little about it, horrifying, harrowing as it is. I think it's in, important that these things are not forgotten. It is, is also an excellent film and mm. will keep your interest in, and, and occupy you, but it's, it's not, yeah, not a popcorn film. So Andy, how many preemptive 10 out of 10 ratings out of 10 would you give it? Uh, 10, I think. So that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's 100 out of 10. It's impressive. It's very good. It's got to win the Oscar now. Yeah. Uh, have you seen any of the other films it's up against in that category? Um, no, I've slightly shunned the category because uh, before the nominations were announced, I watched a film from Lesotho, which I've recommended on, on this podcast. This is not a burial, it's a resurrection. And it, it didn't end up getting nominated, which I was very surprised by and uh, took personal offence because I'm very immature. <sighs> But uh, considering the quality of this film, I think I may go check out some of the others there. Well, I have to say, I did spend £100,000 of my own money getting Hellraiser 5 dubbed into Swahili, so it could <laughs> technically be nominated. <laughs> so it's, it's, up against, it's up against a gangbuster. Oh, I bet it's better in Swahili. <laughs> makes, makes more sense. Um, so, John, to avoid hearing more about Hellraiser 5, what's your recommendation? There's two series on Amazon that I think dropped around the same time one of which we, is the entire series is now available on Amazon and another one is doing their weekly releases. I think Amazon tends to dump their lesser series all at once and keep the big guns for weekly releases. Speaking about the whole series first, uh, I watched Them, which is a social horror series. A black family in the 1950s moved from the South to Compton which in the 1950s was very, very much an all-white community, and encounter horrors both of the racism variety and the jumpy-out monster variety. I don't want to say it's something that's been done to death, but there, there seems to be a big... Sort of Jordan Peele a, a Jordan Peele thing, but there's been a number of films where it's kind of racism is the real monster kind of thing, where, um, so you've had Lovecraft County, um, to some extent Get Out, but I wouldn't really lump that in with that. A lot of the new Twilight Zone episodes, and maybe Watchmen to some extent as well. But the supernatural horror series about race seems to be a thing at the moment. Now, this one um, is created by Little Marvin, who I've not heard before, but I've seen a picture of him, and he is not little. 
I think the little might be a, a, a somewhat ironic nickname. And Lena Weath, who did Queen and Slim. And uh, some very good work on Master of None, if you watched that on Netflix a few years ago as well. Yeah. And she's the reason that I tuned in, because I, I really... Great I, writer. And I love a lot of the stuff that she's done. This is a really, really weird thing. Yeah, we've got um, Deborah Ayurendi and Ashley Thomas, who are two London actors as the couple. And Alison Pill is the leader, I would say, of the white community who are not keen on this black family moving into their midst. It starts off really well. It's really well acted. It's really well shot. The effects are great. And I really enjoyed the first four episodes. Episode five starts with something that I've not seen before on a streaming TV series, and that is a warning that the episode contains material that you may find disturbing, but it's there for a reason. Episode five is horrible, and gives some backstory to why they are in the position the characters are in, and a lot of the stresses the characters are suffering, and retrospectively makes some things in the first episodes make a lot more sense. But from then on, and for the remaining five episodes, it's just brutal. Remember torture porn was a thing a while ago? Things like Hostel. Yeah. And, yeah. and you, you kind of go, okay, this, this is ridiculous. But then you read about it. These are generally all things that happened. Not to one set of people. But not all to the same family over a period of 10 days. And you kind of get that it's hearts in the right place of what it's doing. But essentially, you're just watching a black family be tortured and have racial indignity upon indignity piled upon them. And you kind of think, what am I watching here? And why am I watching this? And what am I, what am I supposed to be getting from this? I've probably seen more articles about this series mm. than I have seen people actually talking about the show itself. There's a really good Guardian article. Yeah, talking about what it means and mm. how black suffering is almost being commodified into these yeah. shows and films that might have black creatives involved, but it's almost giving this suffering to white audiences to feel bad about and then go, oh, well, thank goodness we're not like that anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which doesn't add anything to making meaningful change. It doesn't show that black families can be yeah. something other than put upon and downtrodden. I think Amon Warman in Empire uses the phrase black joy to mm -hmm. talk about what's missing in a lot of these films. And the idea you can have a black family in a show and they don't have indignity upon indignity piled upon them. The original Coming to America being a good example of that. It's mm -hmm. virtually an all-black cast and they have a good time, which is still a novelty 30 years after Coming to America. Yeah. And these kinds of series, important though it is to show that these things happened in the quite recent past, mm -hmm. if that's the only aspect you see, how helpful is it? Yeah. I guess you could argue that possibly for someone in that situation in the 50s, there probably wasn't going to be a happy ending and there possibly wasn't going to be any kind of redemptive arc for the characters. But it is just so brutal and so grim and so continuous that in the end you kind of become numb to it. Which in itself is a terrible mm -hmm. thing, surely. And the, the reviews I read, one of those was from Louise, who was not happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it just seems that unremitting grimness is what totally put me off yeah. even trying to watch it. I mean, there's, there's, there's good things in it. As I say, it's really well acted. It's really well made. There's some great effects and jump scares, if you like that kind of stuff. And it's got a real unnerving creepiness about it. It's difficult to criticise it from the position that we're in. And I can see what it, it's trying to do, but I just feel that it misses a point and just becomes torture porn. So how many times do you have to look away from the screen out of 10? Uh, <laughs> I 
I, I kind of didn't look away, but only because my eyes had stopped moving and kind of tried to deny <laughs> what I'd seen. I would give the first half of the series a 7 out of 10, and I would give the second half of the series a 4 out of 10. Mm. Okay. Because it just starts off well, and then it just careens off. Yeah. Um, Alison Pill is very good in it, who seems to have gone from adorable, quirky best friend to slightly psychopathic nut job via her, her career recently between this and Devs and Picard, where she killed somebody, but then just got forgiven because she said she was sorry. She'll always be the combination of uh, Kim from Scott Pilgrim and yes. the Empress <laughs> Matilda in Pillars of the Earth to me. Well, that's a very interesting recommend don't, John, but yes. do you have a recommend do? Oh. I recommend, I recommend do. do do Ron. Um, um, the, the other Amazon <laughs> series I've been very much enjoying is an animated superhero series called Invincible. Oh, that's great. This is created by Robert Kirkman of Walking Dead fame. And there's a very good kind of meta thing in the first episode where there's a lot of characters who are played by ex-Walking Dead cast members. And Stephen, Stephen Yun or Stephen Yen? Yun, I think. Who is Oscar nominated, plays the lead together with Sandra O oh as his mother and J.K. Simmons as his father. And I think every part is played by an actor of note. So if you use the Amazon Prime X-ray feature, you, you kind of recognise, so oh, that's, that's Mark Hamill, that's Walton Goggins, that's... Um, Zachary Quinto. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly well cast. So the story is, in a world of superheroes, uh, a teenage boy has no powers of his own, but his dad is Omni-Man, possibly the most powerful superhero in the world. And as he hits the final year of high school, suddenly his latent superpowers become... Blatant superpowers. Become blatant superpowers. Especially the plot of Sky High, isn't it? I never saw Sky High, but it sounds very similar, yeah. <laughs> there is also a group of superheroes who are very, very much riffs on the uh, the Justice League. You've got a Batman character, the Wonder Woman. I think there's a Wolverine in there as well. So kind of a mix of all your really... Um, stock yeah. superhero types. To give a specific warning on that, that's for a reason. And don't feel mm. the whole thing is going to be boring and dull and predictable because they seem a bit boring and dull and predictable. And I really don't want to spoil what happens at the end of the first episode, but bear with it. There is a twist and the show becomes 10 times more interesting as a result. So you've got this kind of ongoing story of a teenager coming to terms with his superpowers, kind of the Peter Parker type thing of balancing high school and girlfriend and being a hero, which is really interesting. And then you've got this larger story with the existing superheroes and what is happening with them. I absolutely love it. I think it's really funny. I think it tells a really good story, brilliantly cast, and you're never quite sure where it's going to go next. It's kind of semi-episodic. You need to watch it in order, but you've kind of got a villain of the episode or an individual story in each episode with an ongoing story underneath. And how does it compare to the other big Amazon superhero series? The Boys? Yes. It's as good as The Boys. I'm treading carefully here for a reason, Peter, aren't I? Yeah. It's comparable to The Boys, yeah, in, in its world building and stuff like that. And also, to some extent, in its cynicism about superheroes. And a, a deconstruction of kind of superhero myths and so on, to some extent, yeah. But yeah, I've been hugely enjoying it. It twists and turns in the character developments, and, you know, you, you care about the story at multiple levels. I think, I think it's, mm. it works really well. Uh, what's the tone like? Is it a full-on comedy or is it a drama with some jokes in it? I wouldn't describe it as a comedy. I would describe it as a superhero series with comedic elements. But it's fun. It is. It's enjoyable. Mm -hmm. It's quite keen on blood and guts in places, but... A spoiler. Yeah, it's, draw it's drawn, so... No, yeah. not really. No, I would, I, would, I would say that's a spoiler. Yeah, but that is something you need to be aware of when watching a series. I haven't seen any of it, but the only thing I know about it is that it's got blood and guts in it. 
oh, okay. So if you are someone who does not enjoy The Walking Dead, do we think they'd still enjoy this? Because oh, it's yeah, quite it's, different it's... to The Walking Dead in so many ways, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, very different to The Walking Dead. And if you're someone who has uh, sat through all of The Walking Dead so far and is now up to date again... There's no hope for you. Then you'll enjoy it even more. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you've not enjoyed the last five series of the last thing you watched, so you might as well watch something you'd enjoy. The most recent episode was not bad. Again, it's on the poster. High praise indeed. I've heard The Walking Dead this season, because of the comedy filming regulations, is even more, let's just follow one character for an episode and forget about everybody else. But sometimes those can be the best episodes of a season. Sometimes. Not when the whole season is those no. episodes. <laughs> it's a short season, it's only like six or yeah, eight episodes true. as mm-hmm. well. But, looking at, say, Breaking Bad, some of those best episodes were just the two of them in the trailer. Yeah. yeah. But I guess Invincible doesn't have this issue being animated because you've only got to record the voices and you can do as much as you want. Mm-hmm. And I guess a lot of animated shows are probably going to show up in the very near future because it's been pretty much the only kind of show that can continue unimpeded. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. I think some of the Simpsons writers have said we've just carried on as normal, mm-hmm. except we're writing and, and working from home, but we can do everything that we did already, which a live action show just can't do. Was the everything that they do already, sitting on a sofa, getting stoned, watching an episode of The Simpsons from 25 years ago and cutting and pasting it with some topical references? Speaking as somebody who is working their way through all of The Simpsons mm-hmm. and has now watched all of them up to season 29, uh, as it gets closer to season 30, it is starting to pick up again. Mm. The only ones that I really don't like are the ones that just destroy the continuity and every five years the Simpsons have grown up in a different time period. And Mm -hmm. I know they have to do this because if they still had Bart as 10 years old in 1989, he'd be, you know, 40 now. But you get some laughs out of the Simpsons. Mm. I will defend very recent Simpsons. It's hit its bottom and it's not at its peak, but it's higher than it was. I'll be like wrestling. You like a comeback story. I do. Yeah. So will Invincible be around in 30 years? Or is it a limited run? Has it got a finite story? Yeah, the comic book is finished now. I think the comic book ran for about 144 issues, but has come to a conclusion. And how many issues did it take to build one episode of the show? They're pretty much doing an issue, an episode at the moment, but they're cutting and pasting oh, right. quite so a bit. So it could go on for ages. And I think the intention is to run it through the story of the comic book. So the aim is to keep it going for, for a decent amount of time. Hmm. So uh, in a world that's awash with superhero media... Does it stand out? Does it have its own character? Or is it a bit kind of samey? It's got a tone that falls kind of in between the Marvel peppiness and fun and one-liners. It has all of that whilst having kind of some of the, the darkness and cynicism. So I don't know how much of that is because it's animated, but it's, it's not a dark and depressing show by any means, despite some of the, the things that happen in it. I think it's, you know, it's, re- it's really fun. The main thing I would say is you can't really judge it entirely off its first episode Mm. because it appears to be more conventional than it later reveals itself to be. Therefore, you'll sit there saying, so what's so special about this? And then you go, (laughs) exactly that noise. That's what I expect to hear. The wind was blowing in the right direction. So I heard a, ooh, coming from Peter's house. (laughs) And you're like, oh, I know what he's doing. And I thought, he's he's wanking. Um, And then I thought, oh no, he's watching Invincible. He could be doing both. He could be. I'll have a clean version of that, John. Oh, if you were masturbating over the last sequence of the first episode, then you'd really enjoy Hellraiser 5, I would say. God. (laughs) I was thinking about watching it before you said that. That's my editing. Oh, I thought that was the. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's not ending in the show as well. <laughs> For the listeners, Peter is currently scissoring. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens when Hazel isn't here. Uh... So how many series that are much better than The Walking Dead and shouldn't put you off out of 10 <laughs> would you give it? I would give the show 9 out of 10. Peter, what, what would you give it out of 10? I would give it 9 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I think it's really good for what it is. So, Peter, you've recommended my recommendation. Do you have a recommendation of your own to recommend? Yes, I'd like to recommend a series called Made for Love, which is a terrible title, but it's a very good show. It's a dark comedy series which recently launched on HBO Max in the States. It's about a young woman, played by Kristen Milotti, who's on the run after 10 years in a suffocating marriage to tech billionaire Byron Google, played by Billy Magdison. After 10 years together in a digitally recreated paradise, she runs away after realising she's had a monitoring device placed in her brain. He said this was to bring them closer together, but it allows him to track her location, see what she's doing live, and read her emotional data as she tries to escape. The show has a very sort of Black Mirror feel, as you might guess from the technology, but it's also a a metaphor for a controlling relationship. A lot of the enjoyment hinges on Melotti's performance. You might have seen her in Palm Springs or USS Callister, which is the Star Trek-y episode of Black Mirror, and she brings a lot of charisma and comic timing to the role. There are a few other weird characters, like her her dad who's having a relationship with his blow-up doll following the death of his wife. I know some of us have issues with gratuitous quirkiness, especially Andy. Yes, but I really enjoyed it. You uh, convinced me as soon as you said Kristen Milioti. She's great in everything, and I have no doubt that she is great in this as well. Um, it sounds from the way you described it, if she, she's running away, that there could be a little bit of a Running Man Logan's Run person runs away from evil sci-fi stuff element to it as well is that would that be right or it's not sort of tech bound mm. even though she's living in this place that's like a cube where each room's like a holodeck instead of being a real room so it can be anywhere on the planet you like and it's entirely convincing apart from smell for some reason it doesn't do smells it's odd it's fun it's surprising and it's very much about her character if you hated her as a, an actress you probably would not like the series at all that's a good thing for you, probably, Dan. Who would Dan. hate her as an actress? <laughs> Who could know. watch Palm Springs and hate her as an actress? Someone allergic to eyes. <laughs> she has the biggest eyes I think I've ever seen on a non-cut person. <laughs> yes. She does have a very strange look to her. But that gives her charm and makes her more individual. And uh, it really works. I put this on and I fell asleep 20 minutes in and then slept through the next four. How many pints had you had? I'd had four pints of beer and then put it on and immediately fell asleep. <laughs> so based on, on that alone, I can only assume that it's terrible. <laughs> well, four pints farthings analysis aside, um, mm. I'm intrigued. I will look out for it appearing over here, which hopefully it will sooner rather than later. Presumably it'll be now TV, won't it, if it's HBO, but... We're also getting HBO Max over here at some point. Oh, are we? Yeah. Ugh. Another streaming service. Ooh, great. That'll kind of render Now TV a bit pointless because mm-hmm. their whole thing is having all the HBO stuff for Sky. Yeah. Um, so, Peter, you, um, you mentioned it was based on a novel. Does that mean it's a one-and-done series or is it going to continue? It feels like it's going to continue. I don't think it'll be one-and-done. Have you watched it all the way through now? No, I'm about four or five episodes and think there's, it's coming out weekly, there's six maybe out so far. I don't think it's particularly long. They had a weird thing where they bought three out one week, yeah, three did. out the next week, and then another two the week after. Where you say whether there'll be season two, if it's based on a novel and an adaptation of the novel, presumably it's going to come to a, a conclusion. 
It may not do the whole novel though. Mm-hmm. Um, my my instinct is it's probably not going to, but I don't know because I haven't seen it to the end yet. But it, I think it's really good, and I think it deserves another series. So the idea of a husband putting a monitoring chip in his wife's brain is pretty horrifying. Does yeah. it have a dark edge to it? Definitely, I would say so. To counterbalance the quirk. It handles the dad who is having a relationship with a sex doll reasonably straight rather than being, haha, isn't this funny? Hmm. It's someone who actually believes this thing. Like Lars and the Real Girl, that Ryan Gosling film. Mm-hmm. And can simultaneously see that it's a ridiculous thing to do, but also it's, it's a truth mm-hmm. to him. It's Ray Romano, isn't it, as the dad says, yes, everybody loves Ray, even in animate objects. In fact, I think I read he's only in the first season, so that would imply there's a second season coming. What about the doll? Is the doll signed for more than one season? <laughs> they can recast the doll. <laughs> so, John, Ray Romano's in this. Everybody loves Raymond. Mm-hmm. Do you? Despite his co-creator? No, I mean, I think Ray should be fed to Phil. I thought I got you with a loophole there, and you were finally going to admit mm-hmm. that Phil... Uh, of somebody feed Phil, just like Ted Lasso, is really nice and you should be friends. So tiring, wouldn't they? <laughs> you know, every time you go to a restaurant, it gets overexcited and has to interview the chef and tell his parents about it. Just a meal, mate, innit? Eat your fucking burger, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but John, you, you, every time you have a pint when you go out, you ring us up and tell us. I do, show yeah. Us, show us photographs. <laughs> hey, look at this pint. Yes, John, it's exactly like the last one. Yeah, we all got four phone calls in the first 20 minutes of Made for Love. (laughs) It's no wonder you weren't paying attention. So um, how many implants or letters see what you're seeing out of 10 would you give it? I would give it eight and a half. Strong reviews all around for most this week. Lots of Mm -hmm. recommend do's and only one recommend don't. And as usual, it's you doing the recommend don't. (laughs) I feel it's an important public service. I watch these things so you don't have to. But the weird thing is you describe something that sounds fucking horrible and make it sound like a recommendation. Not everybody likes nice things. For every Phil, there needs to be a Nicolas Cage. <laughs> For every Ted Lasso, there needs to be a Pinhead. For every... What are the nice things we like? <laughs> For every Christian Melotti, there needs to be a Christian Minotti. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> So that's all for this episode. We hope you've had a great time. And if you enjoy the episode, then find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, a large billboard of Sunset Boulevard and page four of the Daily Mail. I don't know what I'm saying. We're not on Instagram, but I'd rather we set that up than have to talk to the Daily Mail. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do for anyone who helps us in that way, John? If you leave us a nice review, Daniel will come round and hand-deliver his 500-page thesis on why the prequels are not that bad, really. Written entirely in his own bodily fluids. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was just going to say, I'll show you a photo of the kitten. You have the choice. The 500-page ramblings of a madman or a photo of a cute kitten. So, thank you for joining us, and until next time, you have been listening to... A man who still wants to go to Wellington despite all the zombies and vampires and stuff. A man who recently watched Mank and wished he hadn't bothered. <laughs> a man who's trying to find the pump for his blow-up doll. A slightly terrible Amazon knockoff of a much better podcast host. <laughs> so until next time, everybody, bye! Bye!
the last four episodes of The Clone Wars are good enough that it made me think for a while, maybe the prequels are the best Star Wars. Because those last episodes are so so you, Joe, outstanding. You know that, you know it's that amazing. Home that Ian is currently yeah, in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a two-bedroom two, two home. Right, 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 right. John, Peter, <laughs> either of you watched the last episodes of Clone Wars? No. Exactly. But we have watched the prequels. Yes, but my point is, Clone Wars <laughs> is so good, it makes you think that you got the prequels wrong. Unless the last episode of the Clone Wars is Dave Filoni wiping his ass on a Blu-ray copy of Attack of the Clones. Hazel will return in two weeks to explain the sweepstakes scoring system and reveal the winners. <laughs>